Amen. Good morning, everyone. Happy Resurrection Day. Sorry about the snow, but it is Rochester, so sorry about that. It was nice last week, wasn't it? Everybody enjoying the spring? Okay, none of you. All right. Um, I, 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 listen, we started a journey as a church on September 7th last year of a pursuit of going through the whole Bible and the major stories of the Bible and connecting them with the overarching story of the Bible, and that's God's redemption of man. That, that God had a plan from the very beginning of time uh, from the fall, you know, from the fall of, of Adam and Eve to when sin came into the world, uh, God had a plan from that very time to redeem man back to himself, to make things right. And we started that journey way back in the fall, and uh, we went through all the major stories of the Bible. And this is the end of the story. Some of you read the book, the story, and I, my, my prayer was that it helped you to kind of put the Bible together and kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together for you to understand that, that the Bible is actually one story. It's not a bunch of separate stories, a bunch of hodgepodge stories, but it has one central story of God redeeming man back to himself and that the story of the Bible is all about Jesus. And here's where it all comes together. This is where we end our series. It all comes together in the person of Jesus Christ, and it all culminates in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he indeed is who he says he is, that he indeed is the Son of God. And that's what I want to focus on today is why, why is the person of Jesus so unique? Why is he different from every other religious figure that have ever walked the face of the earth? Why is he the Son of God? Why is he God? And why is he the one that can radically change our lives if we turn to him. And I want to look at the story that's found in Luke chapter 24. And I want to look at the account of the resurrection when these women came to prepare Jesus' body for burial and they discovered that his body is not there. And the account is found in Luke 24. So let's jump right into the word of God today. And we're going to look at the first first. Uh, eight verses of that account of the resurrection. And so starting at verse one, it says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, these women got up the crack of dawn, right when the Sabbath was over to go and to take care of the body of Jesus. And they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared and they had found the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. And when they went there, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed by this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Here, he is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. And they remembered his words. It all came back to them that the things that Jesus said now came true. Now, how many of you are like me and you like good endings to a book or a movie. 
right? You, you, you invest some time in reading this book or you invest some time watching this movie and then you watch the movie and then it's a bad ending. You're like, man, that was a terrible movie. That's not, that's not, that wasn't a good ending. I can remember uh, the first time I ever watched um, this one movie by, I like John Wayne movies. Can I get an amen? Ruth. Ruth loves John Wayne. Okay, she loves John Wayne. Okay, uh, and I can remember watching the movie, The Cowboys, and I thought, this is a great movie. He's got all these young guys. They're doing this huge cattle drive, and he's got all these young boys to help. And I thought this was the greatest movie in the world until it got towards the end of the movie. And John Wayne, I'm give spoiler alert, okay? Uh, John Wayne dies. Now, how many of you know John Wayne is not supposed to die in a movie? Can I get an Amen. He's not, and I was like, this is the worst movie in the whole world. John Wayne is not, he's supposed to be the hero of the movie and, and these mean guys are against, I just didn't like them. I was all disturbed. I couldn't sleep that night. It was terrible. I just didn't like the ending of the movie, The Cowboys. Something wasn't right. It wasn't the way it was supposed to be. I like when the story ends right. This is what I like about the story of Jesus. Here you've got these women, and it, it seems so bleak. The, the hero of the story of Jesus, and it seems like he has died this pointless, horrible, gruesome death. It seems so senseless. And, and, and after he dies, many of his disciples are, are hiding. They're, they're downtrodden. And then three days after his death, exactly as he told them, exactly what he told them would happen, he rose, he conquered death, and death could not conquer him. And, and the resurrection is, is what the story is all about. This is what puts the whole story together. Because, you see, without the resurrection, it's just another nice story. Everything rises and falls on the resurrection. Without it, Jesus is just a, another man, another nice guy. But the resurrection proves that he isn't just another man. In fact, he is God himself. And this fact actually separates Jesus from every other religious figure that has ever walked in the face of the earth. And we have to come to realize today that Jesus is different. There's something about the name of Jesus. There's something different about him. Everything God started in the beginning is now fulfilled in his son. You see, Christianity has the answer to all of life's questions. All through the Bible, we see God reaching out to man through his grace and his mercy. And God had this plan from the beginning to redeem man back to himself to provide a way out of our mess. God's plan was ultimately fulfilled in his son, Jesus. And he would come as that perfect solution to man's dilemma. Jesus did for us what none of us could do for ourselves. Now, I just want to let you in on a little secret. Um, some of you may not know this, and some of you may be very surprised by this, but I cannot perform surgery. I know that's a shock to some of you, but I cannot perform um, surgery. I know that's a shock to some of you. Um, uh, you do not want me performing surgery on you. That would be a train wreck. But this past year, my wife and my son both had surgery. My wife had back surgery. My son had ACL surgery. And I had to literally put them in the hands of the surgeon. Now, you're hoping that the surgeon knows what they're doing. They had to put their lives in the hand of the surgeon in order to be healed from their injury. You see, 
Same thing here. God knew that we couldn't fix ourselves. We needed a surgeon to do heart surgery because all of our hearts were wicked because of sin. And what Jesus did by God sending his only begotten son, Jesus fixed our sinful hearts by giving his perfect heart in life for us. He literally became our substitute and by his death, we are saved and we are healed. And in order to be healed, we have to place our lives in the greatest surgeon, the great physician, Jesus Christ, and he fixes us for good for all eternity. Can I get an amen? That's the good news. So what's, what's so amazing about this encounter that the women had with the angel at the empty tomb? Well, what we know some things about the, these three named women at the tomb. We know that Mary Magdalene uh, was the person whom Jesus casted seven demons out of, the Gospels tell us. We know that uh, Joanna, her husband, was a manager in King Herod's household, and she helped support Jesus. We know that, the, that Mary, the mother of James, was the mother of the apostle chosen by Jesus. These women each had a story. Christ individually touched them in a certain way and, and, and changed them. They knew there was something different about this man. We knew that, that, that there was something unique about Jesus, that the reason why these women were following him. And they all went to um, the tomb to prepare uh, Jesus's body for burial. And they were looking to find a dead body. And then the angel said to him, said to them, why are you looking for the dead among the living? It's like the story I heard of a little boy. He was looking for his lost dollar that his mom gave him for ice cream. And he's looking around and it's kind of, it's dark out at this point. A neighbor saw the little boy just looking for this dollar under, um, you know, under, uh, the street light and the neighbor came out and said, Jimmy, what, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm looking for my lost dollar that my mommy gave me for, for, for ice cream. And so the neighbor said, well, well Jimmy, I'll, I'll help you look for it under, under the street light here. And so they're looking and he's like, Jimmy, I, I, I don't see the, the dollar bill at all. And so, so Jimmy, Jimmy says, yeah, yeah, I don't see it either. And the neighbor goes, are you sure you lost it right in here under the street light? And and Jimmy said, no, I, I, I lost it over there in the vacant lot. And he goes, well, why aren't you looking over there? And Jimmy says, well, the light's better right here, right? Um, it's, it's like that song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places, right? Uh, you know, by Johnny Lee, looking for love in too many faces, searching their eyes, looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of, right? Um, here, here are these women, they're, they're looking in the wrong place. They're, they're, they're looking for something that isn't there anymore. And, and it's interesting how we look for the answers for life in all the wrong places. And, and here's what I want to stress to you today. It's funny how we look for things to fulfill our life that will only bring death. We, we look for things in this world that, that we think are, are going to bring fulfillment to our lives. But in the end... They don't bring life at all. In the end, they're just there for a time and they're gone for a moment. They, they're fleeting. It, it, it gives us some sense of purpose, maybe for a little bit. But in the end, it, it, it's meaningless after a while. And it's, it's funny just doing hospice work and praying with people in the last maybe days or hours of their lives. And it's funny when you talk to people, you know, the things they, the things they want, the things they desire are not the things you think of. They, they, don't, they don't say, hey, can you just... 
can you just hand me my checkbook because I just want to hold my checkbook one last time, right? Is that what they're, you know, can you give me my bowling trophy because I really miss my bowling trophy. I just love to hold on to my bowling trophy just one last time, right? No, they're thinking about eternity. They're thinking about their family and their loved ones. They're they're not thinking about those temporal things that only gave uh, uh, just temporal happiness. They're they're looking for things that that really are going to give them fulfillment. It's interesting how people turn their lives and turn their hearts to think about it, things of, of eternal significance. And this is what I love about this story about these women. When they came to the tomb, their lives completely changed from that moment on. When they peeked in and saw that the tomb was empty, their lives were redirected from that moment on. And listen to me, every single one of us in our lives, at one point or another, we have wake-up calls. Can I get an amen? I don't care what it is. Maybe it's an accident. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a job loss. Whatever it may be. Maybe it was an addiction. Whatever it is, we all have wake-up calls in our lives. And we have, a, we, have a, we have a chance, we have a moment at that time to look at our lives and say, okay, I, I can keep going this way or, or something needs to change. How many of you were like me and you said, something needs to change? This world isn't all that it's cracked up to be and I'm not finding the fulfillment that I thought I would find in these things and these things have kind of left me empty and my life needs to change and you began a pursuit and and maybe someone told you about Jesus. Maybe you just picked up the Bible. Maybe it was you coming to church. Maybe it was turning on a Christian, you know, radio station or a, a TV channel. Whatever it was, you had a wake-up call and something redirected your life. What happened to these women? Well, I'm going to show you just a couple things that happened to these women when they peered into the empty tomb. And what happened to these women is their lives were redirected. I'm going to look at the first thing here. What happened, I believe, is there's a couple things here. I believe that their lives were redirected from death to life. What they were looking for was death, and all of a sudden, it was, their lives were totally redirected from something that was dead to something that came to life. Everything was redirected. Their focus changed from something that was dead to something that came to life. From thinking about the cross and what happened just three days ago and sadness, now comes the empty tomb. It was the, it's the most important event that has ever happened in the history of the world. These women were the first to see it with their very own eyes. Something that they thought was dead has now come to life, the most important event that has ever happened in the history of the world. No one has conquered death. We are all subject to it. Death is the great equalizer. I don't care if you're rich, poor, tall, short, smart, or like me, right? Death affects us all. Everyone will die. The mortality rate, I just Googled it, is 100% United States. Let that sink in for just a minute, okay? Not one of us can conquer it in our own strength. We will die. And I don't mean to depress you, but we are going to die one day. I like what C.S. Lewis says here. He says, the future is something which everyone reaches at the rate of 60 minutes an hour, whatever he does, whoever he is. It's It's inevitable. The Bible tells us the reason for death and its future for everyone is the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. God gives us a gift through his grace and his mercy that none of us can ever receive in our own strength and our own power. Death is the price for our sin. And it's funny that we know we're going to die, yet we think it's never going to happen to us. We try to cheat death. We, we try to maybe eat well or exercise, which is all fine. But in the end, how many know that it's all futile, that we will die? Now, I, you know, how many know that older you get, you, you get a little more sentimental about life. You know, you have kids and my kids are growing up there. I have three teenagers in the house now. And I just realized my birthday's next week on April 13th and I'm going to be turning 49. I have one more year until 50 and then it's all over. <laughs> I'm just, all the people who are 50 are like, get over pastor. All right. It's all right. And I, I was thinking to myself, you remember as a kid, when you're looking at your parents when they turn 40 or 50, you're like, Man, they're old. Remember thinking that? And I remember in my late 20s and my dad turned 50, I was like, man, my dad is so old. And now my kids look at me and they say, dad, you're getting old. How old are you going to be at your next birthday? I said, 49. They're like, wow, one more year and you're going to be 50. I'm like, okay, go play in the street now, okay? <laughs> go play in the middle of 104. Okay, um, we know it's, it's coming, right? It, we know that, and it's inevitable. And the older you get, the more that you see that it's coming. Yet with all that bad news, Jesus makes this incredible statement. And, and, and he makes this statement to Martha and, and Mary when their brother Lazarus dies and, and Jesus waits, doesn't come, and, he, and they feel like, man, if Jesus could have just been here, you know, he could have healed Lazarus or whatever, and he wouldn't have died. And Jesus comes, and we all know that he raises Lazarus from the dead. But before he comes... Martha runs out to meet him as he's coming to this very sad and very somber mood because Lazarus has died. And Jesus says these incredible words to Martha in John eleven twenty five 25 and 26. Jesus says to her, he says this, he says, listen, Martha, chill, just relax. Listen, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Jesus will prove in just a moment to her as he raises Lazarus from the dead that he has the power over death. The thing that's inevitable to every single one of us because every single one of us will die because the Bible says that every single one of us are born sinners and that's the effect of sin is death. And Jesus makes this promise. How can Jesus make such a promise to Martha? Because no one has ever conquered death, yet Jesus promises to those who believe in him. And the only one who could make this claim would have to be who? God himself. And so Jesus basically gives us no other way to believe in him. Jesus is claiming that he's more than just a man. He's more than just a good teacher or a prophet. He claimed to be God and the only one, the only way, the only truth, the only life, that no one could come to God the Father except through him. Jesus is claiming that he is the only one that has this power and ability to conquer death. It's only through him. He didn't say, Martha, if you believe in me and this or and that. He said, if you believe in me, even though you die, you will live. Here's probably one of my favorite quotes 
about the person of Jesus Christ from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. He says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said that sort of things, Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something even worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let, it, let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so here we see that Jesus is proving to mankind and proving to these women who are the first to witness this, that he is more than just a man, that he indeed is God. That all the things that he spoke to them previous, that he said that he would conquer the grave, that he would do this for us, has now come to fruition for these women who see it with their very own eyes. It's come to a realization that he is who he says he is. Now they see with their own eyes that Jesus isn't there. Now, what's the next thing that redirects these women's life? Now, not only does it that we see that something that was dead has now come to life, but I see these women, they were redirected from discouragement to hope. They were going there in a very somber thing to prepare the body for burial, a very sad occasion. Funerals, you know, can, are, are sad and they're somber because we're missing that person. But here's the thing I want you to see. When somebody dies in the Lord, it is also a joyful thing because we know where they're going. We know that they're in the presence of the Lord and that Jesus promised all of us who die in the Lord that one day our bodies will be resurrected and we'll be like him. And those things will be changed in a twinkling of an eye. And that which was mortal will take on immortality and will have our new heavenly bodies that, that will not be corrupted. Amen? And mine will be six foot ten so I can slam a basketball in a hoop. I can't wait, right? God's going to probably make me four feet tall because I keep saying that in all my messages, right? But we're going to have these new heavenly bodies and this is the promise. So now all of a sudden the women, all of a sudden, now wait a minute, that which was discouragement and hopelessness has now turned to hope. They were the first witnesses to the greatest historical event ever. Now, wouldn't the women and the disciples know this? Jesus told them exactly what was going to happen, yet they were still looking for the living among the dead. How many of you were like me? And you heard the story of Jesus. You maybe even sat in an Easter service year after year, and it really didn't do a whole lot for you. And then all of a sudden, one day, you came to that realization that this is real. And the Holy Spirit awakened your heart to the realization that Jesus is who he is. 
And that which was blind, now you could see Jesus for who he was. I, that, that, that is so my story. I grew up in church, going to Sunday school. I had my cool little children's Bible with all the pictures in it. It was awesome. I would carry that huge Bible with me to Sunday school. I loved it, right? But I was blind. I really didn't know Jesus. I didn't really understand the gospel message until someone explained to me. And then one day... Jesus just took the blinders off my eyes. And that those stories and the resurrection story now came alive to me that I'm like, this is real. This is true. And it redirected my life as a 16-year-old teenager from that moment of my freshman year of high school till now. It's changed my life. It redirected me because it became real. And that's exactly what happened to these women. See, we need to be careful here and not base our belief on Jesus on just feelings alone. We have to make sure that it's grounded in the promises of God. You see, the Christian faith faith is not simply based on feelings or philosophy. It is actually based on historical, verifiable events that actually really did happen. See, my question is this, because some people ask, well, that's a nice story and, and it most likely was made up and, and do you really believe that it really, really happened? And, and here's, my, here's my answer to those questions. My question is this, if the resurrection was a lie, why were all the apostles willing and for the most part gave their lives for a lie? If it was a lie, if they didn't see the resurrected Christ, why would they give their lives for a lie? Wouldn't you think someone would say after a while, hey, wait a minute, guys, this was fun for a while, okay? But now it's getting pretty serious, and I'm not going to give my life for a lie, okay? Let the jig is up. You know, I'm not going to give my, my life for a lie. In fact, the Bible says that 500 people witnessed the ascension of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 500 people witnessed Jesus ascending to heaven. And what is so interesting about every other religious figure is the fact that they're dead. You can actually go to their graves. You can actually read about their death and, and, and the day that they actually died on, whether it's Buddha, Muhammad, or Confucius, they're all dead. And you can visit their graves and you can, many people make pilgrimages to, their, to those sites. But what's interesting about Jesus, it's the only place in the world where people go to visit something that isn't there. Isn't that weird? Okay, there it is. The empty grave. Nobody's in there, Right? It's interesting. That's the only place in the world where people... Is that weird? It's strange for me that people go all around the world to visit something that's not there. It's interesting to me that in the first century, all those that were against Christ, all they would have to do is produce the body. And it would have literally crushed the movement of Christianity in a moment. They tried to guard and protect the body from it being stolen. But when Jesus rose from the grave, the soldiers took off. Right? And once again, why would his disciples steal the body? Why would they have died for a lie? And the detractors of Jesus wouldn't steal the body because they wanted to dispel the resurrection belief. You see, the resurrection keeps us from succumbing to our feelings of desperation. 
What the resurrection does for us, the reason why we're here this morning, and the reason why we're celebrating it today, is because this is what gives us hope. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our trials, in the cruddy stuff that happens in this world, I can look into the empty tomb and see that Jesus isn't there. He's not there anymore. He's risen. And the Bible says that he sits at the right hand of the Father, forever interceding for his children. Jesus is on my side. He's saying, Barden, you can make it. You can make it. Take another step. I know life is hard. I know it's not easy, but take another step. And here's the words that Jesus leaves with his followers to give them hope in the midst of sometimes a hopeless world. And, and one of my favorite passages in the book of John, in John 16, this is what Jesus says to his disciples when they're saying, where are you going, Jesus? Why are you leaving us? And they're, they're kind of worried. And Jesus says, listen, I've said these things to you. I, I, didn't, I didn't paint a perfect picture for you. I didn't say that this world was going to be perfectly easy and everything was going to be easy and, and smooth. But he says, I've said these things to you that in me that you may have peace. Because in this world, you're going to have tribulations. You're going to have hardships. But take heart. I've overcome the world. And I've overcome it for you. You see, what happened to these women is that their hearts were redirected from something that was hopeless to something that was hopeful. You see, what these women were doing is that they were, they were, uh, they were doing what was right. They were going to, to the tomb to prepare the body. They actually waited after the Sabbath, which was the Jewish thing to do, because if they were to touch a, a dead body, they would be considered unclean. And so they were doing the right thing. They were trying to follow the law. They were trying to do the right thing. But after these women came, and they noticed that Jesus wasn't there. Jesus freed them up. Jesus changed their lives. Their lives were completely redirected from that moment forward. See, what's interesting about these women, they were trying to follow the law. But then the visual of seeing the empty tomb. Jesus says, I'm going to set you free from the law, from all the things that you have tried to do in your own way to try to reach me. You see, every single one of us here, in one way or another, we try to reach God in our own ways. Maybe we say things like, well, I'll just try to be a good person. You know, I'll try to come to church. I'll, I'll try to read my Bible more. I, I, tr I try to do these things, but they, they fall short of God's perfection. You see, what Jesus did for us is that he fulfilled the law and the requirements of God that we couldn't do ourselves. The resurrection turns us from law-keeping to gospel-believing. You see, uh, the resurrection turns us from this self-righteousness to trust in Christ and his righteousness. The resurrection turns us from trying to earn God's love by our good deeds to freely accepting God's love as a gift through faith in his son. The resurrection turns us from, from the death that the law requires to, to the eternal life that Jesus purchased for you and I. See, the question we need to ask ourselves is, is, is what does it mean for you and me today? How does the resurrection redirect us today? And this is what I love about the message of Christ and the resurrection, because it's still 
changing lives today. The power of that gospel message that Jesus came and died for sinners, that Jesus rose from the grave, that he conquered sin and death for you and I, is still resounding in this world today, and hearts and lives are still being changed today. Here's what Jesus asks of you today. He says, just take a peek in the tomb and see that I'm not there anymore. I want you to realize that I'm not there, that I conquered death and sin for you. I did this so that you could have a right relationship with my father. I did this so that your sins and the penalty of your sins and an eternity without God would no longer hang over your head. I did this for you. But we have to take a step of faith and believe that. We have to believe that. See, the women, after they saw it, they ran because they wanted to tell the disciples. And then Peter came and saw it for himself. And, and there the domino effect happened. But we have to believe Remember Thomas didn't believe it? Thomas was like, well, I still don't believe it. I don't care what you guys say. And then Jesus shows up to Thomas and says, Thomas, feel. Feel my hands and my feet. I'm alive. Here are the scars. I'm alive. And what happened to Thomas? He believed. He said, my Lord and my God, I Belief. What changes a heart is not your intellectual belief about it. What changes your heart is your faith. That you believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And Jesus will not only transform your life, he will redirect your life. From that of hopelessness and wandering and searching for one thing to the next, to purpose and fulfillment and joy and happiness even in the midst of trial, because you know this world isn't all that there is. There is a hope for you. So whether I die tomorrow or 20 years from now, it doesn't matter. I know where I am going. And Jesus says, for those who have put your trust in me, I have prepared a place for you, and I'm going there now to prepare it for you. Trust me. Trust me. So every time I begin to lose faith, every time I get hopeless, I've got to look back up at this cross and realize Jesus isn't hanging there any longer. I've got to peek into the empty tomb and realize that Jesus isn't there any longer. I've got to re-remind myself of the promises of God that Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, but take Take heart, I've overcome that world. That is my hope today, that Jesus is alive. That's what keeps me going. That's what gives me peace. That's what takes a hopeless situation and turns it around to a, a, a hopeful situation because I know that in Christ Jesus, I am more than a conqueror. And this world and everything in it can never separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you have that hope today? Do you have that assurance today? Jesus is asking you to come to him today. And so we're going to pray and we're going to take communion today. 
And we're going to celebrate what Christ has done. We're going to remember that it was through his body and through his blood that, that secured that hope that we have today. That Jesus is who he says he is. So I want us to bow our hearts for just a moment. And I want us to pray today. And just before we take communion and we just celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection for us. And if you're here today and you just say, Pastor, man, I'll tell you what. As I look over my past or, or, or as I look at my life, there, there's just some really cruddy stuff. There's some hopeless stuff. And, and I'm just really going through it right now. And I just need to turn my life over to Christ. I need to have that peace that Jesus talked about. Jesus desires to give it to you, but you've got to come to him by faith and give your life to him. And you can do that right in your seat as you pray to the Lord and just call out to God. Just call out to Jesus. He knows you're here. He knew you were coming before your friend even asked you or before you even came to church today. He knew you were coming. He knows exactly what you're going through. He hasn't forgotten about you. That's how much he cares about you. He loves you today. He loves you today. So Lord Jesus, we come before you. And we thank you that you didn't forget about us. We thank you for the hope and the insurance that you gave to these women when they came to to prepare your body. We thank you for the hope that you gave them 2,000 years ago and the hope that you give us today, that even in the midst of our hopelessness, there's a hope in Christ that this isn't the end. And I pray for every single person here that has made bad decisions because all of us have. For those that just feel like they've messed up and they've made so many wrong choices, that God, you would redirect our path towards Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you can heal us, that you can forgive us, that you can put us on a new path, that in Christ Jesus we are new creations, that behold, all things become new. We thank you for the newness that we have in Christ Jesus, that you make all things new, that the resurrection is the hope that there's a new day tomorrow and there's a new start and there's fresh beginnings. And so, Lord, that's what I pray for every single person in this place here, that you would give them a fresh new beginning and a new start. Thank you that your mercies are new every single morning. And so we thank you, Jesus, as we turn our hearts to you, as every person here just calls out to you, God. I pray that they would give their lives to you. And I thank you that anyone that calls on your name, you are going to save and heal and forgive so the penalty of our sin no longer hangs over our heads. Thank you for the peace that comes with that. So we put our trust and we put our hope in you today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Listen.